O God, he that keepeth Israel, he that watcheth us, neither slumbers nor sleeps. You do not sleep. Your eye, 24-7. Your arms, your embrace. Oh, we must get this straight. Let the teaching be clear, Holy Father, for your glory and honor only and for our growth always. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Title of this new uh, mini-series, Tattoos on the Heart, a Case for Apocalyptic Compassion. I mean, come on. With life on the planet these last few days, apocalyptic seems to be the way we're living anymore. Can you believe that? Two asteroids and one pope in one week. <laughs> Unbelievable. What's next? That's what people are asking. Who's going to be the next pope? I have no clue. Already I see cyberspace echoing prophetic theories and interpretations. I will just wait. We'll just wait. But that near miss, and while we're all watching the near miss about to take place where we're not watching becomes the source of a direct strike. Somebody just slipped under our radar screen. I say slipped under the radar screen. That really is a euphemism. When that 10,000-ton hunk of space rock the size of a school bus is hurtling toward us into our atmosphere at 19 miles per second, a bullet travels at 4 miles per second. 19 miles per second exploding somewhere between 19 and 31 miles above the Ural Mountains with the force of 30, did you hear that? 30 Hiroshima atomic bombs, just boom. Unbelievable. As I was saying, I suppose that if God wanted to get the attention of Earth last Friday, that would have been the way to do it. Have us looking one way and then come the other way. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it is not... It is, it is, I correct that. It is rocket science. It is rocket science to learn that our brightest astronomers are now monitoring, get this, 10,000 NEOs, near-Earth objects, 10,000 of them. And while they do have a handle, as I wrote in my blog, it's in the bulletin and online today, while they do have a handle on every asteroid 19 miles in size or larger, that's huge, because that size is sure global catastrophe and massive mass extinction. So they're watching those big those big ones. And while they are also quite confident that they are tracking between 90 to 95% of asteroids about a half a mile in size, they think they've got them, 90 to 95% of them. The truth is, and here's the kicker, if we include asteroids the size of the near miss, that's 2012 DA14, and by the way, that near miss was 15 minutes short of catastrophe. Fifth, seven and a half either way in the orbits we would have hit. Half a football field, 50 yards, right? Of those asteroids, 50 yards in length, astronomers are sure of the whereabouts of only 2% of them. What does that mean, ladies and gentlemen? That means that thanks to last Friday, Earth has been served notice 
that asteroids with a force of 30 nuclear bombs each are capable of striking our planet without a split second of warning or notice. The Guardian newspaper in London put it this way, there could be hundreds of thousands of these smaller asteroids waiting to be discovered. And I would add, hopefully in time. Which seems like I recall, was it last fall? You and I were together. Weren't we brooding over a line that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? You remember that line? I have it right here. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, and they shall no not escape. We're looking the wrong way, and it comes right up out of the sun. <laughs> Near miss. <laughs> New miniseries. Uh, the, the word is not a misnomer. That's what I need you to know. Tattoos on the heart, a case for apocalyptic compassion. Let's go. Open your Bible with me, please, to the book of Romans. We're going to a familiar text. You have read this text before, but you have missed the context. We have skimmed over those two words. We have simply not caught it. And I want to go back to the familiar text. Romans chapter 13. You didn't bring a, a Bible. Uh, you got your uh, smartphone going? Good. All right. You got your uh, tablet? Good. If you don't have any of the above, grab the Pew Bible. Let me give you the page number. It will be page 765 in the Pew Bible, Romans chapter 13. I'm in the New King James. That's what the Pew Bible is, Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Romans 13, verse 11. Let's put it on the screen. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I mean, come on, we've read this text a hundred times before. But ladies and gentlemen, the first words, we have missed them every time. What are those first words? And do this. Do what? Do this. What do you mean, Paul? What I have just been talking about. And do this. Well, let's find out what he was just talking about. Verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. No, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Verse 9. For the commandments, these will be the ten, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, verse 11, and do this, by the way, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And do this now. There are some who profess to believe the imminence of Christ's return, who today are living lives diametrically opposed to the divine command to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, come on, Jesus is coming soon. I don't have time to care for my neighbor. And besides, who is my neighbor? To quote that city slicker lawyer that shot that question at Jesus one day. And Jesus, in that instant, shoots back anyone, anyone in need. That's who your neighbor is. In fact, I want you to keep your finger right here because we're coming right back. But here's the story Jesus tells in answer to the uh, young lawyers. Kind of smart aleck question. Luke chapter 10. What's the page number here? 699. Luke chapter 10. Here's the story. Everybody knows the story. The whole world loves this story. 
Luke chapter 10. Drop down there and pick it up in verse 30. See, the lawyer in verse 29 just said, hey, yo, who's my neighbor? Because I'm not sure. Jesus says, all right, I'll tell you who. Verse 30, then Jesus answered and said to the lawyer, a certain man, you remember this story? A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, verse 31, by chance, a certain priest, a member of the clergy, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, whoa, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, a member of the board of elders, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and then passed by on the other side. But a certain, this is verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, the Jews had a saying, the only good Samaritan is a dead one. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had, what's the word? He had compassion. He had compassion. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, and poured on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, the Samaritan took out two denarii, that's two days of his wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come back again, I'm going to repay you. Verse 36. So Jesus looks into the face of that astounded city slicker lawyer. So, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he, the lawyer, said, He can't even, he can't even speak the name, Samaritan. And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, You got it. Go and do likewise. Wow. So who is my neighbor? Jesus fires back. Anybody in need. Gay, lesbian, straight, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male, female. Rich, poor, illiterate, educated, inner city, suburbs, Muslim, Jew, Christian, atheist, agnostic, first world, second world, third world, the whole world. It matters not. Anybody in need is my neighbor. Jesus just said so. Yeah, but Jesus is coming soon, so I don't have time to become distracted by the messy plight of those who are in need. Wrong, says Jesus, the Good Samaritan. And by the way, he is the Good Samaritan. That was a story about himself. He is the Good Samaritan. If he hadn't come to this wretched wreck at the side of the road called Dwight, I wouldn't be here today. He's the Good Samaritan. Wrong! And by the way, you say, oh, but I can't get into this messy stuff where it's too close to the return of Jesus. Wrong! Paul answers, wrong. And do this. All the more. As you see the day approaching. Do what? What was that again, Paul? I want to put uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message rendition of these, of these words in Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Don't run up debts. 
except for the huge debt of love you owe each other. I like that. When you love others, you complete what the law has been after all along, the Ten Commandments. The law code, don't sleep with another person's spouse. Don't take someone's life. Don't take what isn't yours. Don't always be wanting what you don't have and any other don't that you can think of. Please. All of this finally adds up to this. Love other people as well as you do yourself. You can't go wrong when you love others. When you add up everything in the law code, the sum total, I like this, the sum total is love. I wish you'd write that one line down, would you? Grab your study guide. Let's go. Come on. He's got a study guide in that worship bulletin. Good. Ushers, let's, could you please, ushers, do that right now? Bless you. You can fill your own out later. Just uh, move down the aisles here. Hold your hand up. If you don't, uh, if you didn't get a study guide, I want you to have today's. I want you to have all three of these. I am praying that this mini-series will leave none of us the same again. Hold your hand up all the way up in the balcony. Put your hand up. We got ushers there. And those of you watching on television, we're delighted to have you. Let me just put on the screen right now. I, I, I'm praying that this series, this little mini-series will bless you as well. You see it on the screen? Our, our website there at the bottom, www.pmchurch.tv. Go to that website. Brand new series, Tattoos on the Heart, A Case for Apocalyptic Compassion. This is part one. That's all the title's going to be, part one, part two, part three, and then we're done. Spring break will be here. All right? So when you go, uh, viewer, when you go to that website, You'll see part one, click on, you'll have the identical study guide we have right here. All right, let's go. Let's do a little bit of summarization here. Two asteroids and one pope back to back. I call that apocalyptic. Write that in, please. Two asteroids and one pope back to back, to back apocalyptic. But keep your pen moving. Because Romans 13.10 and Romans 13.11 back to back. That truly is apocalyptic. At the end of time, counsel. And then because I wanted you to have this, I wanted you to have this, be able to keep this. Here, here's Romans 13, 8 through 10 in the message, and you just fill in the words. Don't run up debts except for the huge debt of love that you owe each other. Boy, isn't that good? The huge debt of love that you owe each other. You run up that debt. Make it huge. The law code. Don't sleep with another person's spouse. Don't take someone's life. Don't take what isn't yours. Don't always be wanting what you don't have. And any other don't you can think of. All of this finally adds up to this. Love other people as well as you do yourself. You can't go wrong when you love others. When you add up everything in the law code, the sum total is, and put it in italics because Peterson does, the sum total and underline it is love, love, love. You add it all up. The sum total is love. And then you have, then you have, is your finger still in Romans 13? Then, then you have Paul saying, oh, by the way, and do this. This is verse 11. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Please, love now. We're out of time. Love, do this now. Keep your pen moving. And do this. In fact, what's Paul saying? And do this, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Do this now. Oh, look at, look at, look at verse 12. Shouldn't leave that out. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Final verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. 
Hey, hey guys, in other words, here's the point. Jot this down, will you? In other words, the closer we come to the return of Jesus, the more of Jesus we need and the more like Jesus we need to be. The closer we come to the end of time. The more of Jesus we need, the more uh, like Jesus we need to be. Loving our neighbors as ourselves, whether they be gay or straight, black or white, Hispanic or Asian, male or female, rich or poor, inner city, suburbs, Muslims, Jews, Christians, agnostics, atheists, first world, third world, the whole world. Doesn't matter, Jesus says. Anyone in need, anyone in need is your neighbor, anyone in need. That's what the Good Samaritan said. The Good Samaritan when he was here. Anyone in need, including the homies, the homies of Los Angeles. Because that's where the phrase tattoos, tattoos on the heart came from, from the heart of a gangland parish in the heart of the city of angels where a pastor named Gregory Boyle has spent 25 years, get this, 25 years ministering and pastoring homies, which is kind of the affectionate title that gang members call each other. Los Angeles County, by the way, L.A. County, Los Angeles County, 1,100 gangs with over 86,000 gang members in that one county. Tattoos on the Heart is a collection of some of their stories. It's a book that Pastor Rodley has all of us on Pioneers Evangelism Council reading right now. Why are we reading it? Because of the incredible subtitle. Here's the subtitle. The Power of Boundless Compassion. The Power of Boundless Compassion. So I go to the dictionary and I say, Hey, Dwight, you've got to really figure out what does this word compassion mean? So I look it up in the dictionary. Here's what I, here's what I found. Compassion. Pity aroused by the distress of others. Now, I need to tell you that a lot of people stop it right there. They say, well, that's what compassion is, just pity for the suffering of other people. That is not compassion. That's pity. That's not compassion. Compassion is only when you add the second half of that sentence. Pity aroused by the distress of others with the desire to help them. I want to make a difference. I know what they're going through. I don't really know, but I see what they're going through, and I want to make a difference. That's compassion. You have to have the desire to help. In fact, I just added this one more line to uh, the definition. It is love on the brink of action. It's love that's just about to act. Compassion wells up in my heart. That's what happened to the Good Samaritan. Compassion just welled up in his heart. And he comes over and he says, I have to do something. The distress of another stirs him to action. Love on the brink of action. Tattoos on the heart is a collection of stories that reveal the boundless power of boundless compassion. Just like the Good Samaritan. Like the story, by the way, of the day the Homeboy Bakery burned down. Homeboy Industries is a, is a rehabilitation ministry that Gregory Boyle founded, giving gang members a chance to go clean with their lives. And I want to read, I want to read the day the bakery burned down. Listen to this. Okay, Homeboy Industries is not for those who need help, only for those who want it. That's good. 
In this sense, we are a gang rehabilitation center. Often the homies, the pastor's writing here, often the homies who come to us are not ready for primetime players. Just released from prison, they're offered what is often their first jobs where they glean soft skills at homeboy industries, like learning to show up on time every day and taking orders from disagreeable supervisors. We provide all of this free of charge. I thought that was great. We are a worksite and therapeutic community. We are a training program and business. We are all of the above, all at the same time. And then he tells about a homie that he bumped into one day. His name is David. A homie named David who had sunk to homelessness and heroin addiction was beating himself up one day. Look, David, I tell him, wanting to cut his meat up for him, you have to crawl before you can walk and then walk before you can run. David's eyes softened with tears. Yeah, but I know I can fly. I just need to catch a gust of wind. Boyle writes, Homeboy Industries wants to be that gust. Okay, the fire. In 1992, Homeboy Bakery is launched, but seven years later, in October of 1999, it burns to the ground. I get a panicky call at 3 in the morning with the news. I arrive to find the bakery surrounded by fire trucks, hoses shooting water everywhere, flames stretching high. Women from the projects across the street greet me and wrap me in their arms tearfully. They promise that when the sun comes up, they'll have a venta de comida and begin the fundraising. A young girl hugs me crying, don't worry, G, because his name is Gregory, don't worry, G, we'll have a car wash. I must admit initially, I thought it was arson. When I say this, people often presume I mean that gang members did it. I never thought that. Homeboy Bakery stood as a symbol of hope to every gang member in the county. That they would destroy this place of second chances did not make sense. But we had lots of enemies in those early days. Folks who felt that assisting gang members somehow co-signed on their bad behavior. I want you to get that. I want you to get that. Because the moment you step out and start living radical, apocalyptic compassion, there are going to be people who will misunderstand you right and left. You can't do that to them. You can't accept them. You're co-signing on that behavior. You're going to hear that speech. You're going to hear that speech, and I'm going to hear it after this miniseries. You can't do that, Dwight. You just can't do that. They were ticked at this inner city ministry. But we had lots of enemies in those early days, folks who felt that assisting gang members somehow co-signed on their bad behavior. Hate mail, death threats, and bomb threats were common, especially after I wrote op-ed pieces in the Los Angeles Times, which I had just done prior to the fire. We used to joke during this period of hostility that emanated from those who opposed the very idea of homeboy that with so much vitriol leveled at us, we ought to change our voicemail message after hours. Thank you for calling Homeboy Industries. Your bomb threat is important to us. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> oh, that's good. But of course, oh, so, so anyway, so they don't know what caused it. They finally figured out the next day, they figured out it's, it's, it's an 80-year-old building and some electrical wiring shorted and psh, the building imploded. But a half hour after the fire started, but of course we didn't know all this in the first half hour, and during this time, now listen, during this time of not knowing, a wizened Irish-looking fire inspector comes over to me. You the owner? He asks, flames shooting through the roof of the bakery behind him. Yeah. 
Mm, he says, got any reason to believe why someone might have started this fire? Nope. Uh, you, don't, you don't have any uh, disgruntled ex-employees, did you? No, I tell them, all the disgruntled ones still work for me. <laughs> I needed to break the tension even if he didn't need to. He does not smile. You know this area? <clears throat> you know this area where the bakery's located? He surveys it with a whisper, turning his head from side to side. Well, it's known for hoodlums. Like this might come as a surprise to me? Well, I tell him, I think we're okay, because here at Homeboy Industries, and now I'm the one whispering, we only hire hoodlums. <laughs> Again, no smiling. The next day, and I want you to hear this kid's story. The next day, we were able to inform all the bakers of what happened. You see, these kids, the gang bangers, they're the ones who are the bakers, former gang members. So they got the word out to all the kids, the, the, the gang members, young adults, who are baking bread. But we couldn't locate one of them, a kid named Lencho. So when the time came for his shift to begin, Lencho steps off the bus wearing his perfectly planchado, his perfectly ironed white uniform with the words Homeboy Bakery embroidered on one side and his name Lencho emblazoned on the other. His step is light as he walks to the parking lot. But once he enters, he sees the soggy mess extracted by the firefighters. He sees smoke still wafting through the sizable hole in the roof. He sees his co-workers, all rivals from enemy gangs, picking through the rubble. No one needs to explain. He stands there frozen, puts his head in his hands, and begins to sob. This was his reason for getting up in the morning. Just as important, it was his reason for not to gangbang the night before. The union he shared with his co-workers, former enemies, was deeper than anything he'd ever known in his family and certainly stronger than the bond he knew in his gang. All we could do was surround him with love and the promise of rebuilding. Can't believe it. In a part of the city, everybody's written off. Some Christians move in. Wow. I want to have one more story, one more story. The original bakery was hugely famous from its first week. News crews would visit us almost daily. Articles were written with photos of enemies working, working alongside one another. Tour groups came from all over the world. Busloads of Japanese tourists dropped by. Our, our foreman at the time was a man named Luis in his mid-twenties, who arguably had been, am been among the biggest, savviest drug dealers our community had ever known. We knew each other for more than a decade, and any offer of a job was always graciously but surely declined. Luis was as smart as they come and quick-witted. He used to say, when we were kids, we would play kick the can, but so did the cops. You know, they'd play kick the Mexican or kick the Puerto Rican. <laughs> he never got caught. Too smart. If the cops, if the cops rolled by while he was standing with me, he'd, he'd mumble, beam me up, Scotty. But when his daughter Tiffany was born, things changed. He wanted to work at the bakery, and his natural leadership abilities soon moved him up to foreman. Not only did he work with former rivals, he also supervised them, which is a great deal more difficult. One day, we received an odd request for a tour from farmers from the Central Valley of California. They wanted to see the bakery. Well, it's part of Luis's job description to greet the busloads and the film crews. He hates this part of his job, and his whining could make your teeth ache. 
Do I got to? The day the farmers arrive, he and I are waiting for the bus to pull up, and I'm swinging at his whiny complaints like a bunch of pesky gnats. Finally, the bus drives into the awkward bakery parking lot, and I wave and direct it to its reserved spot. It's one of those ultra-modern buses, sleek and slick, equipped with a microphone at the front for the, of the bus for the tour guide, and Luis suddenly pretends he's the tour guide. Welcome to Homeboy Bakery. His voice nasally drones with tour guide disinterest. Observe gang members in their natural habitats. <laughs> He's holding his fist up to his mouth for greater amplification. Please keep your hands in the bus at all times. Do not attempt to feed the homies. They are not yet tame. Kayate. <laughs> Quiet, I say through the part of my mouth not smiling, welcoming our visitors from the farmland as they get off the bus. Later in the day, okay, so the tour is over. Later in the day, I visit the bakery several blocks from my office. Seeing Luis triggers the memory of his earlier tour. Oh, yeah. Listen, how'd the tour go? I ask him. Please, gee, he shakes his head. What's up with white people anyway? I was actually curious as to what was up with us. I don't know what is up with us. I mean, please, he says, they always be using the word great. We do? Oh, please, yeah, watch it. This bunch of gabachos stroll in here and see the place, and it's all firm and clean, the machine's working properly, and they say, this place is great. Then they see some of the homies, two sabers, you know, enemies working together all firm, and they say, you fellas are great. Then they taste our bread, and they go, this bread, it's great. I mean, please, gee, why white people always be using the word great? I tell them I don't know. Trust me, every opportunity I could find after that, I tell him how great he is <laughs> just to mess with him a little. Some four months later, now listen, some four months later, it's nearly closing time, and I arrive at the bakery in the evening. Luis sees me in the parking lot from inside the building, and he rushes out. He's excited, and yet enthusiasm is not ever the card with which Luis leaves. He's too cool for that. He barely lets me get out of the car. Hey, gee, he says, thrilled to see me. You're not going to believe what happened to me yesterday after my shift. He proceeds to tell me that after work, he goes to pick up his four-year-old daughter, Tiffany, at the babysitter's. He puts her in the car. They drive to their tiny apartment where, for the first time, Luis is paying rent with honestly earned clean money. He unlocks the front door, and Tiffany scurries in down the hallway and lands in the midst of their apartment. She plants her feet in the living room, and she extends her arms and takes in the whole room with her eyes, and she then declares with an untethered smile, this is great. <laughs> he turns to me and says, I thought she was turning white on me. <laughs> he tells me that he lowers himself to her eye level, placing his hands on his knees for support. What's great, Miha? What's great? Tiffany clutches her heart and gushes, My home! Luis seems to be unable to speak at exactly this moment. Our eyes find each other, and our souls well up along with our eyes. We can't stop staring at each other, and tears make their way south on our faces. After what seems like longer than I'm sure it was, I break the silence. I point at him. You did this. You've never had a home in your life. Now you, now you have one. You did this. You were the biggest drug dealer in town, and you stopped and baked bread instead. You did this. 
You've never had a father in your life, and now you are one. And I hate to have to tell you, but you're great. <laughs> and I hate to have to tell you, reader, so he's now talking to us. I hate to have to tell you this, but the first time I retrieved this story from my memory bank was to tell it at Luis's funeral. He wasn't doing anything wrong on that Wednesday afternoon. He was killed. He was loading the, the trunk of his car in the projects, readying himself for a camping trip with friends. Two gang members with their faces covered entered their enemy's territory, looking, as they say, for fools slipping. They saw Luis and must have thought to themselves, he'll do. They walked up to him and executed him. I told the great story at Luis's funeral largely because of the questions I'd been repeatedly asked by his friends and homies during the week that spanned his death and his burial. I mean, what's the point, they'd ask? What's the point of doing good if this can happen to you? It was a good question worthy of a response. I told that packed church that Luis was a human being who came to know the truth about himself and liked what he found there. Our life struggle is coming to discover what we are clothed in God's goodness. This became Luis's life work. He embraced his goodness, his greatness, and nothing was the same again. And really, what is death compared to knowing that? No bullet can pierce it. And then he ends with a poem written by a gang member named Hafez. This poem is so good. It's in your study guide, and I'm going, to put it, I'm going to put it on the screen as well. Title of the poem, With That Moon Language. Very well written. Okay, so here the poem begins. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course, you do not, you do, not do this out loud, otherwise someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this, this great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear? And what is it that every other eye in this world is dying to hear? Write it down in your mind, not that study guide. What are they dying to hear, every other eye in this world? Three words, I love you. I love you. What every other eye in this world is dying to hear, gay or straight, black or white, Asian, Hispanic, doesn't matter, male, female, young or old, educated, illiterate, inner-city suburbs, who cares? Muslims, Jews, Christians, atheists, agnostics, the whole world, it doesn't matter. What every other eye in this world is dying to hear, I, yo, amigo, I love you. That's it. I love you. Because the truth is, now listen to me very carefully as I put a wrap on this. The truth is, the world is not dying for a fresh retelling of our truth or anybody else's truth. What the world wants to know is not which religion is right, 
Rather, they wonder which religion works. I, I, compadre, I love you. Is there a religion left that speaks what every other eye in this world is dying to hear? I love you. The problem with our nation, now listen up, the problem with our nation and I fear our church is that we have become so polarized, so defensive of our personal convictions, and so rude and almost ugly in our vitriol against those who disagree with us that we have destroyed any notion of love and compassion for the opposition, whoever the opposition is. Politics today has become ruthless, destruction of your opponent. Cyberspace is a perfect domain for anonymous vitriol and attack. And the church, is the church the one place the world would think to turn for the power of boundless compassion? Would they even think to come here? Are we the Jesus people who live, who love the same way he did? Or have we written off vast swaths of the human race as an abomination, as heretics, as too carnal, too worldly to draw into our midst? What did that gangbanger put it in his, how did he put it in his poem? What every other eye in this world is dying to hear. Do they hear it from us? Yo, I love you. Gay, straight, black or white, do they hear it from us? Hey, girl, I love you. A century ago, a little five foot two inch woman wrote something extremely profound. I end with her sentence. It's in your study guide. Ellen White. Profound observation. Put it on the screen. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Period. End quote. No caveat. Well, if, 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 if. No caveats. No exceptions. The strongest argument in the world for the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. That's it. That's it. But every other eye in the world is dying to hear, I love you. I love you. You're safe in this place. I'm not co-signing. I am not co-signing with your behavior. I'm talking about I love you. You love like the Good Samaritan, the Lord Jesus? Trust me. You'll hear about it. They'll let you know. They'll let you know. But so what? Paul says, and do this, knowing that the time is short. Love this way. Love this way. On the eve of Christ's return. Trust me. 
Those of you that have the end game all figured out, it will never work, ever, until we do this. I love you. I love you. How do we do this? The next two times, we're going to wrestle with the how-to for gays and straights, for blacks and whites. We'll wrestle together and do this. I love you. But right now, we can take the next step. Pull out your, uh, pull out your, your connect card, will you please? I want to end with this. You got it in your bulletin? Did you get one? All right, pull it out of your worship bulletin right now. Choir, you got it? Good on you. You know what we do here? We take the, just a moment to fill in the name, email address. If you need some material, you're going to need that email address. Thanks for making it legible. We're going to pick these up in just a second. But I want to go through these three next steps. You see an usher coming down, holding it up. You want, to, want, want one of the connect cards? Just keep your hand up. We'll come your way. My next step today, here are three of them. Look at that. Box number one, I want to daily ask Jesus to give me his heart of boundless compassion for all. I'll be the first. I'll be the first. I want that. I mean, don't you want that? A heart of boundless compassion for all. Here's, here's box number two. I will look for someone this week to whom I can express I love you and mean it. Now, look, 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 look. You don't have to say the words. You don't have to say the words. It's just the way you are in the cafeteria. It's just the way you are in that hallway. It's just the way you are in your place of work. You'll say it. You'll say it. Ah, I will look for someone this week to whom I can express I love you and mean it. Final box. And I'd like you to challenge, I'd like to challenge you with this one. I would like to read the Gospel of Luke each day examining how Jesus lived out his love and compassion so that I can follow his example. You read as much as, or little as you want. Luke is, is, is filled with stories that deal with the marginalized, the alienated, and the disenfranchised. He focuses on them as readers. It's a good book to read for compassion. The Good Samaritan. Where do we get it from? Luke. Only in Luke. I'll read, I'll read a story every day from Luke examining how Jesus lived out his love and compassion so that I can follow his example. The next step, because it's not enough just to hear this. Take the step, please. I want to pray with you, and then we'll come by and receive the Connect cards and our, our uh, morning tithes and offerings. Let's pray. Oh, God, good Samaritan of the universe, dear God, you came to this heap of a planet where we lay on the sides of the road. You crossed the universe and the road to save us, to scoop us up, to whisper, I love you. And I will bring you back to wholeness. Oh, Father, grant us your heart. Grant us the heart of Christ the Good Samaritan, grant us your heart, dear God, that we might fan out over this community and campus this week 
fan out with the boundless compassion of Jesus. Receive now our, our tithes and offerings. We freely, cheerfully return to you what's yours and what's from the depths of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.